0: Well, I have a good friend who is an expert quilter. And uh, the quilts that she makes, you know, like for double beds and things like that, and they take ages to make because she hand sews them all. They're absolutely beautiful and and intricate. Um, But one day her daughter, who's a very matter-of-fact sort of person, said, well, she said, I can't understand, she said, why you get perfectly good pieces of material and then you cut them up just to sew them back together again. But uh, she, didn't just, she didn't get how her mother felt about joining those separated pieces. She didn't understand the joy that her mother derived from integrating those, those things so that something beautiful was produced. And it, it was surprising that she didn't get it, actually, because the daughter was a brilliant cook. And what do you do when you cook? You just cut everything up and you just put it back together again, don't you? As Solomon said, there was nothing new under the sun. He said in, in uh, Ecclesiastes 1.9, if <clears throat> you want to cheer yourself up, you can read Ecclesiastes. You know, probably that's, that was a joke. You know. But he said, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, if that is true, then the idea of cutting things up and putting them back together again should be right at the beginning. And you know what? It is. In Genesis, we read that God had a very interesting idea. He thought to himself, I think I'll make a person who reflects who I am in my likeness. And then... I will cut them up and put them back together again. So we read in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Something happened here. Something happened in this verse. First we've got a man, and then we have... A male and female. Genesis 2 tells us what went on. Something got cut up. And I want to read to you now from the Jubilee Bible, which you may not have heard of, but is on Bible Gateway as one of the many translations. And I liked this, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So this is Genesis 21 and 22. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his sides and closed up the flesh in its place. And the Lord God built that which he had taken from the side of the man into a woman and brought her unto the man. Now I like that translation because it's about the only one I can find that doesn't use the word rib. The word that is used is a word that's selo, which means side or part. And in the Old Testament, it is used 41 times. But it's only in this particular verse I read and in, and, and in verse um, 20, 21, I think it is, um, yeah, where the word rib or ribs, is, it's translated that way. Now, there's no particular reason why it should be translated that way. In fact, in the Old Testament, The only other place that the word rib is used is in Daniel 7, 5, where there is an Aramaic word, because a beast comes up with all these ribs hanging out of its mouth, you know. So I thought, okay, how much of a side is a side? And, you know, the word selor sounds a bit like the word selah, which is in the Psalms, which means pause and think on that. I thought, when it came to the division how much of a side was a side anyway let's get back to it one flesh was now two but God said I'm going to put them back together again and in Genesis 2.24 he says a man will be united with his wife and they will become one flesh but how can I be sure that it was God who spoke those words? You see, when those, those words are written, they're written as a commentary at the end of the whole experience. And we know the Bible is inspired by God, it is the word of God, but not every word in the Bible was actually spoken by God or was God's will. For example, Job's comforters, they said all their stuff up pages of the bible and after job's trial god said you better pray for those guys their advice was so bad they're in trouble and then when satan came to jesus and gave all those temptations the words are recorded in the bible but they weren't god's words and neither were they did they express his will so how do i know it was god who said that a man would be united with his wife and i'll read the whole verse later and they will become one flesh Well, I know it was God because Jesus said it was. In Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, so it's the Creator said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So he's quoting Genesis 2.24. And then Jesus says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Question. What does being united Mean? A man will be united with his wife. Is becoming one flesh an event or is it a process? What do people who are joined look like? I mean, do they look morphed like this? It's pretty ugly, isn't it? You know, why become one flesh if that's how you're going to end up? <coughs> and... Now, Jesus said that he wanted believers to be one. So can you become one without being married? Is there more to being united than sex? So we're going to have a look at what one flesh might constitute. First of all, we start off with the obvious, the physical. (coughs) Joining as one flesh means the flesh gets joined, doesn't it, in all sorts of levels. And the two can particularly become one through the production of a child because a child has half its DNA from its mother and half its DNA from its father. So two definitely become one. When I was a little kid, I couldn't figure out how it was that married people, being married meant that you could have children I had never been to a wedding. I was about seven or eight years old, and I hadn't been to a wedding. So I imagined that something must happen in the church, that the couple would come up the front, and this is the picture I had in my mind, that some sort of a trap door would open, and they would fall through, and when they came out, they had a baby. But then I couldn't figure out, because, you know, I like to understand why things are the way they are, I couldn't figure out how they got the second child and the third child. That became complicated. In fact, it was so hard to think about that I stopped. My mother kept leaving books around the house, which I didn't read. So I didn't find out until a bit later on. So, are unmarried people who are married have sex? That's the question. um, Are unmarried people who have sex married? (laughs) That's what I meant to say. People are vulnerable. And the more physically intimate you are with somebody, the more vulnerable you become. So should there be any protective power or or thing around a sexual relationship? You know, we have laws in our country that uh, restrict um, physical intimacy to be... It must be consensual. You know, you can't, you can't have sex with somebody unless it's consensual. You can't even touch somebody unless it's consensual, can you? You know, if you hit somebody or you inappropriately touch someone. I mean, I find that <clears throat> even in ministry, I prefer to ask people if I can put my hand on them when I pray for them because I have had people who don't like being touched. And it is offensive to them and it it just they can't focus when someone is touching them unless they've invited that person to touch them. So we have an age of consent for sex and we need to have that protective thing around the sexual relationship in marriage. So because otherwise just people who have sex are married, aren't they? So we have Well, let's have the first one here. We've we've talked about the physical. Now we're going to talk about the contractual element of marriage. See, consent acts as a contract or a covenant between the parties. And surprisingly, there is actually no prescription in the Bible for the marriage contract or the marriage service. Nothing. Isn't that interesting? But what seems to be common for all Bible marriages, is that at some point the parties or their legal representative, like a father for the, for the girl, give, must give formal consent, so that that consent is there. In our society, vows followed by sex constitute a legal marriage. Um, but does it make, and this is a question, does it make two people become one. The vows followed by marriage make two people become one because if they do, why do so many married people want to get divorced? Because they're unhappy. If you're perfectly united, why do you want to be divorced? So there must be something more to it than that. Now we know that people feel joined when they connect with their Feelings and their thoughts, their heart and their mind. So, uh, we need to have that element. You know, some people have, in a marriage, some people get married and absolutely have nothing in common except the physical attraction. And when the physical attraction fails, so does the marriage. And it will fail because we become less attractive as we get older unfortunately. <clears throat> we find, though, that if we become of one heart and one mind, that as we move towards each other in a, in a relationship, that we start to think alike and we start to do things together in the same way. I mean, Graham and I will be driving through the countryside with nothing but gum trees and sheep and, and yellow grass, and I'll be thinking... I should get the Christmas cards sorted and I'll just be thinking that privately and then he'll say to me, we ought to get the Christmas cards sorted and I think this is scary, isn't it? You know, it's <laughs> or you'll be watching TV and suddenly you'll you know, you're both fold your arms at the same time or do something else at the same time and it's, it's almost unnerving. But that sort of thing is hard to do if you're never with another person. So we have to introduce something else. We have to have a locational joining. So two people becoming one um, is very difficult unless they spend time together, and that can be difficult sometimes because if you say for in the military, well you, you're away maybe for six months at a time. But if you're not together enough, it is very difficult to be joined to someone. Although the problem is that if you are with somebody, you're, you're, in that, you're locationally joined, that locational joining can actually push you apart. If you have, say, the attitude, well, now that I'm with them, I'm going to get them to do things my way, you know, but I don't expect to change. I will get them to change. And often they go into marriage with this agenda, you know. When we're married, I will change him. When we're married, I will change her. And big failure for that one, because if you don't expect to change, it's going to be a disaster if you just expect the other person to change. And this is where spiritual joining comes in, comes into the frame. Now, the spirit is a God dimension, so we need to remind ourselves of why we were cut up and why God wants to put us back together. have a little sip. Now, we've just read that man was made in God's image and became male and female because, you know, being alone is not fun and God understood that because he lives in Trinity. So that's why we have relationships, because it's good. But if that's the truth, that man became male and female, and we better have another one of these slides, just as well i write them down. It follows that if we are to fully reflect God because man is made in God's image, then what is typically masculine in characteristic, like you know strength and dominance and power, must be seen alongside what is typically feminine characteristics like gentleness and nurture and servanthood. If we are to understand the character of God, you've got to see both sides. Of the picture. I'll put that down. Now. Jesus looked like God. And here we are in Hebrews one three. The son. Is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation. Of his being. The son. Our servant king. We see in him. Masculine characteristics. Strength. Power. Authority. We see in him feminine characteristics we see in him gentleness nurture servanthood because he is the 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 second you know he's the second man he is representative of who of what God is like so we see that in Jesus but sadly what we see in ourselves is that We want the power traits, and we want everybody else to have the servant traits. Because it is convenient for us in our self-interest that we get to rule and control, and everybody gets to do what we want and to help us. And that's the sin nature at work, isn't it? So if a man and a woman were to be spiritually joined, then there must be an honoring rather than a shaming of who the other one is. Men who put women down and say, you know, that's just women's work or well, only a woman would do that and a stupid woman driver. And then oh, I love it when Graham says, it must be a woman driver and we drive past and it's a man. And, <laughs> yes, yes. <clears throat> and we can't, if we're going to um, be joined, we have to see that what, we can't take advantage of the other, we can't abuse the other. I heard a preacher once say that it was Eve's job in the garden to cook the food. But, you know, is that true? I mean, did Adam suffer? Did Adam suffer if he were the better cook? That's what I want to know. If Eve had to cook the food and he was the chef? Poor Adam. I no wonder he just ate the apple. Now, if we were godlike, we have to learn also what the other one has to teach. We have to learn what those, when, the, when there's an integration of, of, of the character of God, then we can learn, a man can learn things from a woman and integrate those things into his life, and a woman can learn things from a man and integrate those things in her life. Now, I've learned a lot of good things from Graham, and one of them is how men work together. Men tend to lead from the top. They have a hierarchical way of doing things. So there's an authority, and they tell someone, and they tell someone. Women tend to be relational, so they want everybody to be happy and equal. And it's not, it, doesn't ha- it doesn't help how things need to work if you want to get something done. So I've learned from Graham that if you want to get something done, you have to do it like a man would do it. But, on the other hand, then he's learnt stuff from me. One of the things I think he's learned is that uh, to be more uh, patient and, and affectionate with the children. And I've noticed as, as a grandparent, Graham is m- much, more, um, in, uh, he, he's much more capable of relating to small children than he was as a, as a parent because he's integrated those things into his life. He's also learned how to be, a bit, you know, to enjoy being ridiculous, which I think, I don't know whether that's an advantage or not. But you see, the truth about the marriage relationship and the spiritual uniting is that it extends beyond marriage. It extends to the church. See, because we have to become one. We are told in the scripture that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, That doesn't imply to me that men only submit to men and women only submit to women, and obviously to men because men want women to submit to them. It means that men and women submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But if it applies to the church, then it's not exclusive to marriage. Now, we have a problem. How do you define marriage... If none of these things that we've looked at are the one way to become one flesh, what makes a marriage? Nathan and Ken are very good at giving blokey examples. You know, they talk about toolboxes and spirit levels and grass kitchens and, and whatnot. And I've given some girly examples. You know, I've talked about quilting and I've talked about cooking. But I want to lo- show you how I can learn from men so we are going to talk hardware and I want to show you an illustration of this is a pin and tumbler lock now inside a pin and tumbler lock there are a number of pins and you can, can see them in there and then those little sort of lines above them are actually little springs and each the the pins have a little cut line in them and the cut line is indicated on that diagram by the change in the color so the cut line above the cut line is blue and below the cut line is sort of it's meant to be brick colored but oh it is yes on that one looks different so we've got the blue above and the and the brick colored below and how this lock works is that each lock has a unique set of pins of pin lengths so they've got certain number of pins and each pin has a unique length so the cut line is different for every pin in every lock okay and if you put the right key in because the top one's the wrong key but if you put the right key in then the cut lines it'll push the cut lines up so they're all equal so the lock will turn so that it will open like that which is pretty nifty I think and I've got a little video which you could run please to show us how that works in Ah, there it goes. It's going in, they're going up. They're going to have to line up before that lock will turn. Okay. thank you very much. We can turn that off and we'll go back to the the PowerPoint. Now for those of you <clears throat> who aren't currently married you might be feeling or you you don't want to be married or you've been married and you don't want to think about marriage anymore or it's just not interesting to you and you're starting to feel say bored you think oh God, how long has she got to go well, this the thing, yeah. and or you might even be feeling irritated because some people can get very irritated about marriage talks it sort of it, it, it touches a nerve in their bodies. So I want to be able to broaden this out now and show you how what I'm talking about has application to actually everybody in this room. And I want you to imagine a lock with one pin. Let's have a picture to help your imagination. For one pin for, every, um, for each of the ways that we can be joined, okay? So there we are. We've got all the ways that I've mentioned. We've got the the physical, the contractual, the heart, mind, the locational, the spiritual. A good marriage will need all of those pins functional. In order to become one, all of those things have to line up. You know, marriage is a bit like becoming a Christian. You become a Christian when you're born again. You accept Christ as your personal saviour and god from a legal uh, point of view he regards you as a christian belonging to him and then you spend the rest of your life becoming a christian thank you so you get married you come down the front you say your vows you have a honeymoon night and then you're married and then you spend the rest of your life becoming one flesh you become one flesh but you spend the rest of your life becoming one flesh That's how it works. A good marriage will need all of those pins at the right level for you to truly, in reality, real time, become one flesh, even if legally you are. But a subset of those pins will be necessary for any relationship of the many types of relationship that exist in this world, if you want to have a good relationship, if you want to have the sort of relationship God intended it to be, whether it's friendship or business or work, those pins will need to line up. So you might not, if you want to have a friendship relationship, you'll need the friendship pin, but you might not need the contractual pin. You know, you don't sign, I'm going to be your friend, sign up here, you're my friend for the next 10 years, and after that, doesn't matter. That's not how it works, but you need the heart and mind pin. But if you're at a workplace, you'll need a contractual pin, won't you? You'll need a workplace agreement or something else to, that, is a, that, that puts a, a, a boundary about what you're expected to do. But you don't need that for getting on with your neighbors. With your neighbors, one of the pins in your lock will have to be the locational pin. I mean, it's, you know, hard to be neighbours with somebody who's living over in Russia. You haven't even met them. <clears throat> but you won't probably need a spiritual joining pin for your neighbours, unless, of course, your neighbours happen to go to your church and you're part of the church community because then you'll need that spiritual joining because Christ wants his body to be one. So you need to have, in a, in a Christian relationship, there will need to be a spiritual connection a spiritual pin operational so here we have another problem the lock will contain the requirements for the relationship that we want we figure it out we ask God for guidance what should be in the relationship I want to have a good relationship with my child that sexual pin won't be there but maybe other elements of physical relationship. I didn't want to have, you know, one of these complicated things with 50 different you know, names up. You have a physical right, but you better not have a sexual relationship with them because that's evil for a start. And you might not... I mean, legally, perhaps you'll have a contractual relationship. Anyway, the point is that you have to figure out with God what requirements are necessary in your the relationship that you want to have because some people put on you things that shouldn't be there, you know, in, a, in relationships. They demand something from that relationship that really has no place in it. So you need to work out from God what needs to be in place for whatever relationship you want to have. So we've got this, okay, we've sorted out the pins that we need. <clears throat> How do we lift those pins to the right level? How do we line them up? so that we can open up that relationship. How do we do it? Well, we open it with a key. Ah, but you can't make a key out of paper. Have you ever tried to open a yellow lock with a piece of paper? It doesn't work. It takes hard work. It's it's not easy to have a good relationship, a good marriage, a good friendship, a good business relationship. It is not an easy thing to do. So when we have that key in the lock, it has to be able to take the load that's being put on it by the pins. It has to be able to bear the load. So I want us to think about something else in hardware, Ken. (coughs) Just want you to notice that I'm using another hardware, hardware thing here, you know. Smiley stamp on the hand. All right, we'll get you the picture in a minute. Hmm. Actually, what I need, to, not only the picture. This is something called a toggle bolt. Or a wing anchor. In fact, there's about 70 different names of them for them, but I'm just going to call it a toggle bolt because it's easiest. And here's a bag full of things here. So good. Right. Have that ready. Okay. All right, now a toggle bolt is used to attach a heavy object to a, um, a soft material like chiprock, a chiprock wall. And <coughs> toggle bolts actually haven't really got anything to do with keys except to teach us about load bearing because they are brilliant to teach us about load bearing. There is two parts and I can't show up the two parts with my hand because for a start they seem to have fallen out of the bag anyway but we'll do it with this one. I'll use this as an illustration. There are two parts there's the bolt which has gone through and this is a pretend gyproc wall okay so we've got the the bolt that goes through the wall and then we've got the toggle on the back of it and if you hang a heavy object on a gyprock wall the load from that object will exert a force on the bolt. Now it can pull, and if you've done this at home, you've nailed up a, a picture on your on your wall at home, and then you know, after a while the nail starts to flop around in the in the hole. And that's because when the force is exerted on the nail, it pulls it through the soft chip rock. But if you have a toggle bolt, the force on the nail, the load on the, nail, on, the, on the bolt, is dispersed across the area of where the toggle, the toggle is. So it forms a much broader area, which means it can, it can actually um, hold a huge amount more of weight. I mean, really significantly large amount more of weight having this thing, which is absolutely brilliant, isn't it? So, um, now, if you had a brick wall, you wouldn't need a toggle bolt because bricks are hard. You nail, put something into it, it won't pull away. But we're soft, we're soft, we're soft like chiprock. because what gyprock is, is just cardboard covered plaster. That's what a chiprock wall is made, of just plaster with cardboard around it. And so like chiprock, we get hurt easily and we fall apart easily, we pull apart easily. So we need something that's load bearing in a relationship like a toggle bolt to keep things together while we're under pressure now god gives us two things that load bear in the way that a toggle bolt does and those two things are love and faithfulness and they are the characteristics of god let's have a look again god says and here we are let's have a look at this one Love and faithfulness. God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. So, love and faithfulness are two key elements of his character. And they're linked, they seem to be linked always together. And those things build relationships in life, like the second verse, which is Proverbs 3 3. We had Proverbs 3 5, and 6 this morning earlier, but. Today, now we're just going back a bit. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. You see, love is the the bolt. Let's go back just briefly to the other one. Love is like the bolt. It's, it's the thing that brings connection. It's the connector. And if we appropriately and generously share ourselves with other people, that we will find ourselves coming closer to them. And that's what happens if you put this in and you, 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 you show yourself to be generous and, and appropriately affectionate and then you will actually move closer in your relationship and the relationship will be tighter and stronger. On the other hand, faithfulness is like the toggle because faithfulness keeps the thing secure so that the connector doesn't pull out and fall down. You know, the the, the object, the weight of the thing doesn't, you know, land on the ground. So faithfulness is there to bring peace and security and rest and confidence into a relationship. So you have to have love, you have to have um, the appropriate and generous giving of yourself in whatever situation, whether it's friendship, whether it's marriage, whether it's business. And then you have to have faithfulness, the thing that brings stability, confidence, trust, uh, that will hold things together. Because if you have faithfulness without love... It will leave you empty. If you just have the toggle and no connecting bolt, the toggle's just going to fall off the wall because there's nothing in it. And often there is nothing much in a relationship except that people just hang in there. You've seen that with some marriages. You know, they've they've just got to that point of relationships that have become stale, and they just keep the relationship just because they're being faithful about it but there's no connection in it because there's no giving of themselves in that relationship. There's no generosity in it. And you can't be faithful without a connection. But love without faithfulness leaves a wound. And if you've ever experienced the giving of yourself to somebody, either in marriage or in friendship or in business or some other, some other situation, and that person has done the dirty on you, and they've broken trust with you by going off and being unfaithful in some way, selling your company secrets, gossiping about you behind your back, having an affair with somebody else, then that is that leaves a terrible wound. It's a terribly painful thing to experience. So faithfulness without love leaves you empty, and love without faithfulness will leave a wound. So just to sum up then that, Relationships between self-interested people, of which we all are, unfortunately, you know, we are, our, our sin has been forgiven and we are no longer under its power, but we have to walk free from its, the, the sinful behaviours and the sinful effects on our life, so we have become a Christian and we are becoming a Christian. You make a covenant, a relationship to become one flesh, and then you spend your life becoming one flesh. So, there's we are self interested people, and therefore relationships don't come easy. But some God has designed relationships to make something more beautiful, more wonderful, more functional, more useful than those separated things could ever be by themselves. And that's why relationships are there, because they're good and they are worth pursuing. So in thinking about how we can go forward and live with freedom and purpose in Jesus and with this message, the way that we can go forward is by first understanding what pins should or shouldn't be in the relationship that you have. And then when that's figured out, Applying the strength of love and faithfulness so that the cut lines in those pins will line up and you can open the door of that relationship and enjoy its benefits. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of relationships that you have given us. It's not good that we're alone And you've blessed us with the opportunity to find something beautiful in our friendships, in our marriages, something even in our business relationships, the creative power of doing something in business that you've given that to us because it's a blessing from you. So Lord, as we think about how that applies to our life, whether we're married or not, as we think about that, we pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom to know what should or shouldn't be in that relational set for us. And Lord, when we decide on what that is, then we pray that each of us can give ourselves generously and appropriately, and that we can give ourselves constantly and reliably in that environment So that love and faithfulness will do its work of opening the key, be the key to open that relationship for us. We ask for your wisdom and that we might apply that to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.